It's really great to be together with those of you who are worshiping in person, those of you who are worshiping online. Uh, What a joy to remember that the Lord is our shepherd in such a strange time in our world. And um, I wonder if you might be thinking, Lord, if you're our shepherd, how are you shepherding us? How are you leading us? And I hope that this morning as we come around God's word, we might get a better sense for how he is leading his church and what that means for us as his church. As we start, I want you to imagine that I'm giving you an assignment. You need to take a snapshot of what the church is to you right now. So what is your snapshot? Is it this building over here that you long to enter but can't? Is it maybe an empty sanctuary or mostly empty sanctuary that you wish was full? Or is it your family or yourself feeling alone, disconnected, isolated? Is your snapshot something that basically is a picture of emptiness and absence, or is it something else? That really is an interesting question because it gets us thinking about what is the church and what is the church to me? Where is the church when we can't gather like we want to? And where is PCPC right now? In John 17, Jesus prays for his people to be one. And in Acts 2, we see this breathtaking picture, the snapshot of the church's life together, like an answer to Jesus's prayer. The church is devoting itself to the word of God and to the fellowship. It's what we've been talking about this summer. And what we see is how the Lord brings his extraordinary power through ordinary means and ordinary people. And so we see the kind of life together that many of us want, and yet we don't know how to get it. So this morning, I want to talk about what it means to be the body of Christ and how the Lord might want us to grow as his church in a moment like this. So let's stand together for a reading from God's word. Our first text comes from John 17, Jesus' prayer before he was arrested. John 17, verses 20 through 23. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. And now from the end of Acts 2, a description of the church's life together, Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. My wife, Anne, is a photographer, and so you might imagine we have thousands of snapshots of our life together, from dating to engagement, 12 years of marriage, now life with two young boys, 
We have lots of pictures, probably need more computers or something. I love the pictures, but I might love even more the story behind the pictures. So I look at an engagement picture of me and Anne, and it takes me back to all the things that led up to that moment. Or I see a picture of our son Will holding his baby brother John and the smile on his face and just makes me think, what's going on in his heart as he meets his baby brother? Or another picture that makes me laugh because John John, our little guy, is lying on the floor crying, the only one lying on the floor crying in this great picture with all his cousins. There's a story behind every snapshot. We see this snapshot in Acts 2, and we're amazed. We want to know the rest of the story. How did the church get here? How did the apostles go from cowardly a few days or weeks ago to courageous in such a short time? How did all these different people come together in Jerusalem as one body? How do we explain the growth that they experienced? If we can answer these questions for the church in Acts, the Lord might show us what it means to be the church in 2020. So how do we explain the church's life together? The first thing I want us to see is the church's fellowship is life together in a person, in the person of Jesus. Every fellowship has a center. Think about it. It's the cause or connection that brings us together and holds us together like the sun and the solar system. It's the center that holds us in orbit as a community. So that could be our college or career. It could be our nation or our neighborhood. It could be our politics or some other passion that we have. It could be our racial or socioeconomic identity. It's usually a combination of multiple of these things. But that's how community works in the world. But what is the center of the church's fellowship? In his classic on community, Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, Christianity means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. No Christian community is more or less than this. Community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. We don't read the words Jesus Christ in Acts 2, 42 through 47, but if you zoom out on Acts, zoom out on the entire Bible, what you see is Jesus is the center of the whole story. So it makes sense that he would be the center of our fellowship as the church. Christianity is community in and through Christ. You zoom in on Acts and you start to see it. Jesus is the focus of Peter's preaching earlier in Acts 2. That's basically all he's doing. He's telling us about Jesus being the fulfillment of everything that came before. And then Jesus is the center of everything happening in these verses that we read. He's he's the object of the church's devotion. He's at the heart of their fellowship. He's the source of their awe. He's the root of this generous spirit that's coming out. He's the center of their worship. He's the heart of this hospitality that's growing. And he's the engine of their outreach to the people around them. So why is this so important, Jesus being the center? Because community in and through Jesus should look really different than community in the world. So in the world, we have you know, the Aggies over here and the Longhorns over here, or the Jews over here and the Gentiles over here, the Democrats over here, the Republicans are over here, tax collectors, Pharisees, one race over here, another race over here. It's how it works in the world. It's a fellowship of natural friends in and through some connections. If you share that, you're in. If you don't share that, you're out. In the church, it should be different. 
because we are a fellowship of misfit parts in and through Jesus. We're Aggies and Longhorns. We're Jews and Gentiles, Democrats and Republicans, Pharisees and tax collectors, rich and poor, black and white and brown, and we could go on and on. Being in Christ is the deepest connection. Being in Christ is the center. It cuts across all the world's lines. It's the ultimate dividing line in time and eternity. Are we in Christ or are we not? That's, that's the real question. But here's what's interesting. In the church, outsiders, those who are not in Christ, are not enemies to hate and exclude. They're neighbors to love and welcome, pray for, that they might come to know Christ. The Lord actually designed the church to draw outsiders in. Have you thought about that? We're a community that in a strange way exists for those who aren't yet part of it. Look at John 17. Notice the what of Jesus' prayer and the why of Jesus' prayer. So he's praying for his people to be one. We've heard that this morning already, but it's not some superficial unity. It's not, I just hope they'll get along. He prays that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Multiple times he's praying this in three or four verses that we would be one, even perfectly one, like the Father and the Son. Jesus' prayer for our oneness is that we would somehow experience the unity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Is that how close you want to be with your brothers and sisters in Christ? The question really is why? Why, Jesus, are you praying for us to be one? Is the unity just for us? You know, that we would be one as kind of a holy huddle. No, the Lord prays that we would be one. Why? That the world may believe that the Father sent the Son. And he actually says that a couple times too. When we are one, the world can't ignore Jesus because the snapshot of these people coming together as one is too strange and too beautiful. Apart from Jesus, there's no explanation for what we see in the church in Acts 2. So the church is powerful proof that Jesus actually lived, died, rose again, and sent his spirit to fill his people that the Father heard his prayer and was delighted to answer it. Look at the church. Try to explain it without Jesus. Don't you want to be a part of a church like that, that our community just can't be explained unless you get to tell people about Jesus? That's why we are the way we are, because of him. That's what he wants the church to be. So what do we want to be? The church should be a preview of the new heaven and the new earth when people from every tribe and tongue and nation will gather together around the throne and worship Christ. That's why the segmentation of the church is so sad. When there's a different church for every kind of person, people can actually deny the power of the gospel, just following the train of this argument, because they can't see it. They can't see that only Jesus can bring such different people together in one body. So can you feel how radical it is to be the church. We're connected to Christ and we're connected to one another every moment of every day and for eternity. So shouldn't our fellowship look really different? Now, this is a silly illustration, but I encourage you to come up with your own from your own life. I went to Duke University. As a rule, we don't like UNC, especially during basketball season. And so it's difficult, but I should have a deeper connection with a Tar Heel who loves Jesus than with a Blue Devil who doesn't. 
This is real because in God's providence, there are several elders here at PCPC who are Tar Heels. But my friendships with Tar Heels, they should turn some heads, especially if we were hanging out in Durham or Chapel Hill. So that's silly, like I said, but it exposes something deeper. It's tragic that we don't see more head-turning unity or oneness in the church. It reveals the idols that we have and the struggle that we have to understand what Jesus has done. Because when these secondary things become primary, we don't look like the church and the world can't see Jesus. So what has Jesus done? He's conquered the sin that separates us from him and from one another, and he's connected us to him and to one another. So have you noticed this? The metaphors for the church are all pulling in this direction. What we were and what we are now. We were enemies transformed by grace into friends. Or we were orphans born again, adopted into God's family. We're different members making up one body. Or we're a pile of random stones that the Lord is building together into a dwelling place for his spirit. If we believe this, if we believe what Jesus has done, what should that mean for us and for our community? Look at Acts 244. It says, all who believed were together. They believed what Jesus had done and it brought them together as different as they were. Now they were together. They were one. They had been together in their sin. Now they're together in their salvation. They're together in their worship and devotion and mission. They're a family now. Strange family, but a family. And whatever happens, our hope is that family sticks together, right? It's hard, but that's what happens. Do we see ourselves this way? It's hard because Dallas culture is tricky. When we talk about Texas hospitality, you know, we're warm on the surface, most of us. But we're too busy for deep relationships. Or we're welcoming. We welcome people to our church or to our neighborhood but our friend groups or our small groups are closed. In this moment, when we're all scattered and isolated, we need to remember that the church isn't the building here. We are the church. We're a family, and we're called to life together in Jesus. This Jesus who has given us a whole new story that should shape our life and our purpose. And that's the second point. The church's fellowship is life together in a person, in Jesus, for a purpose, his purpose. We all have a story. Whether we know it or not, we're all living inside some story. In our culture, few people question or challenge the story of the American dream. And so that story, whether we think about it or not, gives us a lot of purpose to climb the ladder, to achieve our full potential, to make as much money as we can. And it seems like we sort of also think to spend it on ourselves. There's a Christian sort of layer added to this sometimes about getting our soul saved so we can go to heaven when we die. But that's about all we want from Jesus in this story. It's like a Christian varnish on top of being a successful materialistic consumer. Now, if that's our story, if that's the controlling narrative of our life, no wonder we're going to be so busy and so tired because we'll never achieve and acquire enough to satisfy hearts that were made for God. And if all Jesus came to do was save our souls, there's not much for us to do here till he returns or takes us home. So you know this, we all long for more than that. 
Thankfully, Jesus gives us a much better story. Earlier, we prayed the words of Colossians 1. Did you catch it? Christ came to reconcile all things. He's the king of kings, and he rules over all, and he comes to make his blessing flow as far as the curse is found. He's making all things new, he says in Revelation 21, including us, and that's every aspect of us, not just our souls. It's, it's God's story of redemption, and if it becomes our story, it's going to shape our purpose. So in Christ, our purpose is what? To abide and to extend for his glory. Story shapes who we're becoming, and abiding in Christ is about transformation, growing as disciples so we become more and more like him. He saves us so that we can become who he made us to be. So as a church, we're growing together, growing up in the fullness of Christ. Story also shapes what we're living for. Extending Christ is about mission, extending his love to a world that's dying without it. He saves us so that we can live for something greater than ourselves. Together as the church, we're extending, we're on mission. So if a branch is connected to the vine, that John 15 language, it's going to grow and it's going to bear fruit. If we're connected, we're going to be abiding. And if we're abiding, we're going to be extending. It all goes together. We see this in Acts. The church is connected. They're together day by day in the temple, in their homes, around their tables. The church is abiding. They're growing in their devotion to the word, to the fellowship. They're growing in hospitality and generosity. They're growing in their worship, not just on Sunday, but every day. And the church is obviously extending. It's interesting, the passage actually doesn't talk about that a lot, but clearly it was happening. They're loving people. They're sharing their money, their lives in the gospel. And Jesus is shining through his church and people are drawn to the light. It says the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Is our fellowship so different that it's drawing people in from the outside? Are we seeing the Lord add to our number regularly those who are being saved? That's the power of life together in Jesus for his purposes. But where does this happen? That's the last point. The church's fellowship is life together in a person, for a purpose, in a place, in a particular place. In Acts 2, it was in Jerusalem. And then as the church spread out, it started to happen in all these different places. And churches were planted and elders were raised up and people were discipled. And you see the church growing in all these places. Place is so important. Earlier I asked, where is PCPC right now? The map says PCPC is here. Those of you who are here, you're at PCPC. Technically, that's right. Theologically, that's wrong. Because this is just a building, a great building, and a beautiful sanctuary. But the Lord wants us to know that PCPC is the people, the members called to be his body in this city. So the church, where's the church? The church is in the building when we gather here on Sunday, but the church has left the building when we scatter the rest of the week. So let me give you a number to think about. Think about the number 168. Sounds like a random number. That's the number of hours in a week. So how many of the 168 do you spend in the building? For many of us, that might be zero right now because we're not able to come or we choose not to come, and that's okay. For most of us, normally when the world is kind of 
in its normal state, we come for one to three hours on Sunday morning. Or if you want to come back during the week for various things, you might be here five to 10 hours a week. So think about that, zero to 10 hours a week of 168. That's zero to 6% of your week, which means you spend 94 to 100% of your week not here. Isn't that interesting? In Acts 2, what happened when the people gathered together continued when they scattered. They were the church in the temple, but they were also the church in the neighborhood. In Dallas, I think we're so busy and isolated that we tend to miss this. We want those three hours or one hour on Sunday to get us through the other 165. So no wonder we're worn out. Being together is like the heartbeat of our fellowship, you know? But if our heart beats once and stops, we're not going to make it very long. We're going to run out of oxygen. And if we just connect on Sunday morning, we're going to be gasping for air by Tuesday or Wednesday, maybe Monday, <laughs> the way things are going these days. When we're not gathered or can't gather, how can we continue to be the church? That's really the question. And we've been asking the Lord that question. For our elders, this crisis has really affirmed what we were thinking before COVID. We need to connect, abide, and extend more deeply. But how? Even before the pandemic, we knew we've got lots of people and it's easy for them to fall through the cracks. And we want to know them and care for them. But how? We know people are isolated and, and scattered and disconnected. Um, and now a pandemic. So what do we do? Well, for the last few months, we feel like the Lord has been leading us to build the foundation for a parish ministry. You may have heard something about it already. Uh, parish ministry is a neighborhood model that gives us a way to be a family, to be a church family, to know and love and care for all of our members. It gives us a way to be the church seven days a week, wherever we're scattered across the city. A parish makes the big church smaller, so we can connect, abide, and extend in the places the Lord has called us to live and work and play, where we spend most of our lives. Being so spread out can feel like a weakness at a church like ours, but it actually becomes a strength if we come together in our neighborhoods because we can be a light for Christ in so many different places in this city. So we've identified 19 parishes so far. 13 of them are in some stage of a rollout process where we're trying to get it up and running. The others are hopefully not too far behind. And the goal really is to get them all launched in the next few months so we can begin to connect with one another. In each parish, we've, we have elders who are leading teams. And the idea of a parish team is that it would include deacons and lay people, men and women. And these teams are going to help us connect and care for one another. I think it's important to say this is not a staff movement. We have a big staff at PCPC, but this is about the people of our church being the church, which is really exciting to me. Now, in a time like this, it starts with knowing one another. So many of us feeling disconnected and isolated, we just at least want to make contact and get to know one another where we are. We want every one of our members to be connected to an elder and someone else on a parish team. We want everyone to have the experience of someone reaching out to them regularly and at least asking, how are you? How can I pray for you? Is there anything I can do right now to help you? And that's just a baseline of connection that we hope will lead to deeper abiding and extending in time. Proximity 
is not the same as connection. Some of us come for years, sit in the same place in the sanctuary, sit by these same people and never connect. Some of us live right around PCPC people and we either don't know them or we haven't made the most of that. I don't know how, how uh, this will go, but I think many of you will be surprised to learn how many PCPC people live right around you. And it's interesting, you know, I don't know if you know this either, the majority of Park City's Presbyterian Church, the majority of our members are not in the Park Cities. We have, just as an example, 20 households in Oak Cliff, 40 in Richardson, 60 in far north Dallas, 60 in Lakewood, 80 in Lake Highlands, 150 in North Dallas, and that's just to name a few parishes. So one day I'll share more. We can get into that more, but here's what I want you to hear today. We can't gather right now like we want to, but we are still the church. And most of us have brothers and sisters in Christ living nearby. And what we want to do is come together and do life together in Christ for his purposes in our place, in our parish. That may be our best or only option for a while. But the exciting thing is if the Lord blesses this work, we'll be a different church whenever we can re-enter these doors without any restrictions. So we want you to join us as we seek to be the church in this moment. Pray that the Lord will transform us in our neighborhoods and ultimately our city. I asked earlier, where is PCPC? And I don't know what you thought when I said, come up with your snapshot, but uh, your snapshot might have been kind of negative or it might have been more about emptiness or absence, but I already see beautiful snapshots. I'm on all these Zoom calls with elders. I think they're getting tired of me, but what I see is the heart of our elders to know and love and shepherd our people. That's a beautiful snapshot. I see a 91-year-old parish team member who's already caring for four people around him. I, I see a friend who calls and emails from the hospital to check on me, I see the families that are coming together to survive the longest spring break in the history of the world. I see some of you here this morning. Hang in there. It's like week 20 of spring break. I see the volunteers coming together to pack and deliver food to families in need regularly. It just keeps on happening. You may not know about this. I, I see four neighborhood teams that have come together right around neighborhoods around the church. And they're walking the streets and praying and talking to people and going into businesses and seeking to share the love of Christ in tangible ways with people who have really been impacted by COVID. And then I get to see the many of you who are excited to love your neighbors in your parish in the places where that's starting to move. So what if our neighbors start seeing more and more of these snapshots? What if they see something in us that makes them want to hear the rest of our story? What if they start asking, why is your church different? Your church seems different. Don't you want to have to answer that question? Don't you want to tell them we're different because Jesus is the center of our community. He died and rose again to pay for our sins and give us a whole new life that's in him. This is the good news we believe. Do you believe it? Do you want to believe it? I want to tell you more. Jesus also prayed that we would be one, and so we long to live in Christ together. We're his people, we're his church, we're a family. We want to love as he has loved us. We want to live for him, not for ourselves. We, we want to see this neighborhood change. We still fall short. We forget who we are. We forget all that we have in him. But he loves us, and he won't let us go, and he's calling us to be a light. That's why we're different, and we would love for you 
to come and join us and be part of our community. Don't you want to have that conversation? I've never seen a better opportunity for us to be the church. Maybe you have, I haven't. What a moment we are living in. So may the Lord stir our hearts for a deeper life together in Christ. I close with words from Bonhoeffer because I can't say it any better. So listen to these words from Life Together. It is by the grace of God that a congregation is permitted to gather visibly in this world to share God's word and sacrament. Not all Christians receive this blessing. The imprisoned, the sick, the scattered lonely, the proclaimers of the gospel in heathen lands stand alone. They know that visible fellowship is a blessing. The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. It is true, of course, that what is an unspeakable gift of God for the lonely individual is easily disregarded and trodden underfoot by those who have the gift every day. It's easily forgotten that the fellowship of Christian brothers and sisters is a gift of grace, a gift of the kingdom of God that any day may be taken from us. That the time that still separates us from utter loneliness may be brief indeed. Therefore, let him who until now has had the privilege of living a common Christian life with other Christians praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart. Let him thank God on his knees and declare, it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brothers and sisters. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. He is our church's one foundation. Give us a renewed desire, we pray, to be your church with Christ at the center. Lord, help us to abide and grow as his disciples. Lead us to extend and share his love with our neighbors. Father, the world needs to see your light shining through your people. We pray that you would shine through our church. We praise you for the grace to live in community with our brothers and sisters in Christ. May this privilege never be lost on us. Make us one body, united by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.